Chapter 41 The Turkish World People rushed and spoke loudly, gesturing at each other. Chickens and other farm animals sat with their humans on the dirt ground. A haze lingered over the area from the dust that people and animals alike kicked up. This was the Turkish border. Chaotic, disorderly, and loud. And I loved it. It vibrated with an energy that reminded me of the Arab world. On July the 1st of 2002, we entered the Republic of Turkey. I was in high spirits and filled with a sense of adventure, imagining Turkey to be a mix of the Arab and European worlds into which I could fit easily. A slim minaret in the distance directed us into Ipsala, our destination. Riding donkeys and tractors, Villagers of all ages passed us on their way to and from the surrounding fields, their curious gazes direct and unwavering, unlike the Europeans, who were more discreet. Most of the women and young girls wore the hijab, the typical Muslim dress covering the entire body and head. Some only showed their eyes. In town, the men gathered in coffee houses, drinking tea from miniature glass flasks and playing tawla or bekamen, the favored board game among Arabs. I recalled the many days of my childhood when my father would sit with his friends, banging the chips on the board in the heat of a close game and throwing his arms up in the air in disgust or in triumph, depending on which way the game ended. I saw those memories reflected in the faces of the men that we passed that day and felt even more at home. To me, this was all familiar territory but I could see that Alberto was overwhelmed. With my dark coloring, I could pass for a Turkish woman, but my clothing gave that away. Alberto, however, with his long hair and a ponytail and fairer features, stood out and was an even greater magnet for curious stares. He had said he was excited to be in this new world, but I felt his discomfort at being the object of so much attention. From a bank machine along the main street, I readily pulled out some Turkish lira, the local currency. I found the lira confusing, with one U.S. dollar worth about 1,600,000 liras, and had to think quickly to do the conversion. At the pharmacy, we bought mosquito repellent and a plug-in diffuser with disposable repellent tablets, now indispensable items. With the stifling heat, it was impossible to sleep with the windows closed. And with most homes lacking screens on their windows, we were being bitten alive by mosquitoes. Our first night found us at a hostel advertising itself as a three-star, but which European standards would consider a one-star. It didn't matter, though. We were in Turkey, a land straddling modern Europe and ancient Arabia, a land whose contrasts and contradictions would play themselves out in our myriad experiences here and forever leave their mark. We now started walking at 5 a.m. to avoid a heat, which by 10 a.m. was insufferable. Our map indicated long distances between towns, and we now wondered where we would sleep. Although we had chosen to stay in hostels in Greece to have intimacy, we always knew we could turn to the Greek Orthodox Church if we needed to. Now, we were in a predominantly Muslim country and unsure of how accepting they would be of an unmarried couple asking for accommodations. 
without even attempting to ask at any mosque, we concluded that they would not accept us and decided not to approach them for help. We passed Kesan, following endless sunflower fields and orchards of every color, and headed south towards Bachikoy, which we were disappointed to find was nothing more than a smattering of houses. It was already noon and too hot to walk the 20 kilometers to the next town, so we stopped at a roadside restaurant to eat and then rested under the shade of a large tent on the grounds. The raki, or Turkish fire water, was working its magic. We had tasted the fire water of every country we had walked in and were even advised to drink it throughout the day as a remedy for the heat. I wasn't convinced we would still be able to walk after drinking it and so never put that theory to the test. I awakened to the sound of footsteps near us. I sat up quickly and nudged Alberto. A slight 50-something man with dark hair and mustache peered at us curiously, saying words in Turkish and pointing to a nearby house. I had earlier noticed the three-story house as a sleeping possibility because two of the stories were still under construction and two eagles presided over the entrance. The man was Hussein, its owner. Unhurriedly, he led us into the gazebo on his property, indicating for us to sit while he brought a water hose and turned it on for us to wash our faces. He brought us fresh water and cucumbers from his garden to munch on, delighted by our gestures of appreciation. In a mix of basic German, English, Arabic, and plenty of sign language, we managed to make him understand that we were walking to Jerusalem and needed a place to sleep for the night. He simply pointed to his home and led us inside, up the stairs to a spacious, fully furnished bedroom. Hussein invited us to visit the main town a few kilometers away. I donned the floor-length beach wrap that I had bought in Greece and matched it with a sleeveless, button-down shirt, my new summer change of clothing. The weather had cooled considerably, but the sun was still brilliant even though it was after 7 p.m. After a half-hour walk through mainly open fields, we arrived at a small village of simple white stone homes. Everyone greeted Hussein, but their eyes were fixed on us. I heard him use the word haji several times, which sounded similar to hajj, the Arabic word for pilgrims. We bought some cookies and almonds at a small market, but I felt awkward and self-conscious as people stopped all activity to look at us. I realized that I was wearing a sleeveless shirt when the few women who appeared to be in the street showed absolutely no skin. I mentally kicked myself for not thinking of this small detail, especially in the villages where I knew norms were usually more conservative and resolved to find a long sleeve shirt as soon as possible. We entered a small bar and sat at a table near the door, once again under observation. I was the only woman there. Hussein ordered us a pide, a piece of flatbread with cheese or meat baked on it. We tried to calmly enjoy our food, but it was difficult under the persistent stares. A tall man entered the bar holding a drink in his hand and laughing loudly with his two companions. Seeing us, he brought a chair to our table and sat among us. 
I was surprised at this intrusion into my space and didn't know how to react. Alberto's entire presence emanated rigidity. Beers, yes? he asked, turning to order them from the bar. No, thank you, Alberto and I replied in unison. Rocky, yes? the man continued. We again politely refused. I sensed his irritation, but he persisted and leaned in ever closer. I could smell the liquor on his breath and wanted to leave, but didn't dare to stand first for fear of aggravating the situation. After yet another offer to drink, Alberto stood up and in a loud, firm voice said, No. All conversation stopped at the force with which Alberto spoke. He stared down at the man, his normally relaxed face hard, and his soft eyes blazing with anger. I had never seen that side of Alberto. The man stared at him in confusion, and then laughingly said some words in Turkish before walking away. I gulped down my remaining food. Alberto ate agonizingly slowly, and we eventually stood to leave. Alberto marched ahead. I trotted alongside. Hussein struggled behind. No words were spoken until we arrived at Hussein's home. We said our good nights and retreated to our room. Alberto lay down on the bed, staring at the ceiling. Are you all right? I finally ventured. I don't like how I reacted tonight, he replied. I was actually furious. Can you believe it? I don't know what's happening to me. I had so much patience before, and if I saw a guy like that, would just laugh it off. Tonight, I was ready to fight him. Where did my patience go? He was probably harmless, I said, but I'm glad you stood up to him. Yeah, but is that the way of peace? He answered. This is not the peace I'm walking for. I left that world of the warrior behind a long time ago. But the warrior's fire is still inside of me, and in situations like this just wants to explode. It scares me that it's still so strong. This is not the man I want to be, or the behavior I would want to demonstrate to the world. Does a person of peace never fight under any circumstances? I silently pondered. 